Well, thank you so much, BJ, for that tender song and hits the heart of all of us and all of us who know and love Christ. And Well, it is uh, such an honor again to be back with you today. I, uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity that I've had to be able to minister the Word of God to you so far and uh, whatever the future may hold as well. And um, I'm grateful for the Powers report that they are doing well and that no, uh, no life was harmed out of this ordeal. And it's just good to be back here uh, with the family of God, the people of God. Um, I wanted to make note of a special guest that I brought with me today. My mother, Trilby Guest, is actually her name, so you'll remember her last name at least. And uh, Mom comes down, of course, from Rapid as well with us. And then in the second service, we'll, we'll have the rest of the crew coming up from um, a wedding in uh, Nebraska. So we'll be back together again. Been a bachelor this, this weekend. And Anymore, being a bachelor is harder than I thought it was, but um, I used to kind of like that, but now it's, it's hard to pull everything off. But If you would, would you uh, turn to the book of John, and I'm going to be uh, working out of John chapter 9 today. John 9, in particular, verse 4. You may be familiar with John chapter 9 as the chapter entitled The Healing of the Man Born Blind. And unfortunately, in this one shot, I won't be able to handle the whole 41 verses. Uh, my style of exposition is to take smaller chunks, but we're going to just touch on, on, a, on a very important uh, base verse, as it were, in verse 4, which kind of sets the, the frame for the whole text to come. Recently, I was uh, in need of making an eye appointment with, a, with an eye doctor. It had been many, many years since I had gone to the eye doctor, and I discovered that I was having trouble reading things up close. Um, yeah, I had, made it, I had made it to almost 50 <laughs> before that started, uh, before I noticed it, actually. And uh, the doctor suggested that it was time in my life to be introduced to a, a new concept of lenses known as progressive, <laughs> progressive lenses, um, which he recommended and which he prescribed and which I later bought and which I now wear today as part of my semi-permanent apparel. <laughs> but um, before you're too impressed with that term, progressive lenses may sound like a modern term or, or kind of up-to-date thing, but it's really just a fancy name for trifocals. Uh, I, had, I had not gone for so long that I missed the bifocal phase, and I landed right into the, the lap of the trifocals. Well, as he worked to get me to 2020 uh, to vision, um, I thought of the text before us and the man born blind. And uh, I thought of how grateful I was that uh, the, the medical profession could bring me to a point where I could read close up, I could read mid-range or see mid-range, and I can see distance uh, all at, at 20-20, and I'm, I'm grateful for this. But it, it caused me to also think of the heavy burden that is no doubt borne by those who cannot see at all. And, and the difficulty that is associated with being blind, something that I have never known, and as I, concerted, as I con considered the aspect of physical blindness 
and the heavy weight that that must be to bear, I also considered a far greater weight, that being spiritual blindness. Spiritual blindness, a weight that is born without even knowing that you're bearing it in many respects. Physical blindness would no doubt obscure the, the light of the sun from reaching our eyes and seeing all the multicolored aspects of the world. But spiritual blindness obscures us from seeing the light of the, the S-O-N, sun. And having our spiritual eyes and our mind blinded and blocked out from the light of God's work, uh, word in our lives and the work of God in our lives. Well, this morning I wish to speak directly to the heart, and I pray that your, your hearts would be receptive about this very important reality. I don't plan to give a motivational speak, uh, speech today. I'm not going to be giving a speech about time management or, or address the social issues which face the many needs in our society today of, of those uh, in need. All of those are real, and all of that has a real place in life. But today I want to talk about what Jesus had to say about the use of our time. And we see this beginning in John 9, where he speaks to the urgency of the hour with which all of us really find ourselves within. The urgency in that God has appointed all of us a time to live and a time to die and, and a time to, to work out the will of God in our lives while we live. The Bible does, in fact, say that God has appointed our day of birth. He has appointed our day of death. But the Bible also says in Ephesians 2, verse 10, that he has preordained good works that we should walk in as part of our everyday life. And it is important to understand those works of God that he has woven into our lives. To make this just very personal this morning, I just want to remind all of us that you and I and all of us collectively and individually have a particular calling to fulfill on this earth. And it manifests itself in our work and what we occupy ourselves with each day. And as long as you are alive and moving and breathing, you have a purpose here on this planet. You are not to kick back and you are not to to take it easy. You are not to just coast through life, but in, in fact, you are to engage life, gra grabbing it by the horns, as it were, to, to work and to, to bring maximum glory to God. And wise is the man, wise is the woman, to understand what exactly that work is to be. Let's read our text here, beginning in John 9, verse 1. The apostle writes, and as he, being Jesus, passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? And Jesus answered, It was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was in order that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me, as long as it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. May God bless the reading of his word. This point in our text marks 
the near end of the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is six months away from the cross at this point. He knows the sun is setting on his life. He knows that night, metaphorically speaking, is swiftly approaching. And he expresses a sense of urgency found in verse 4 as he approaches this end. And this same sense of urgency I wish to transport to you today, the same sense of urgency that our Lord had to, to really fulfill the purpose for which he was called, I want to rest upon you today as well as followers of our Lord and have clarity, have clear vision as to our callings. I've entitled today's message, Clear Vision for 2020. Because hopefully by now your New Year's resolutions have both come and gone. And now you can see with some clearer perspective about realistically what you are actually probably going to accomplish this year in 2020. And it's still early enough in the year to adjust and to change course if necessary. But I want you to think about the work that God has set before you today. And in this message, I'm going to give you three components of clear spiritual vision. Three aspects for clear vision in 2020, which if understood will energize and motivate and encourage and advance you into the work of our Lord. And folks, my goal this morning is simply this, to encourage you. I just want to encourage you. I do want to challenge you a little bit, but I want to encourage you that if you are a believer and if you have the Spirit of God in you, and if you have the word of God guiding you, you have everything it takes to navigate this year and to engage and press into the works of God. Despite what your handicaps may be, despite what your disabilities may be, regardless of the, the hindrances, as you may refer to them, or impediments or obstacles or burdens or, or challenges which are thrown your way, I want you to discern clearly the work of God which is before you. Take a look at verse 1 here as we begin looking at this man born blind. It says that as he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. This man had some type of uh, ailment which occurred from birth, probably established maybe even at conception. We don't know the, the science behind all this individual's situation. It says in verse 8 that, he, he was living a lifestyle as a beggar, which was very common for, for the blind in this day. And it caught the disciples' attention. And the disciples, in verse 2, asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? There was, there was a misunderstanding. There was a, a lack of clarity, if you will. There was cloudy vision as from the disciples who were looking upon this man born blind. And Jesus has to correct their vision has to adjust their sight by saying in verse 3, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents. And he had to kind of set them back on their heels a little bit and say, don't judge, don't assume. It's not the man. It's not the parents. Well, we know that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but, but the direct connection to the blindness here had nothing to do with sin, and it had everything to do with God manifesting his glory in him. Will you... Well, you note in verse, four, uh, verse 3, he was born blind in order that. In other words, for the sole express purpose that the works of God might be displayed in him. This is a very important truth to understand that, that things happen for a reason that are sometimes way beyond what we see with our 
puny human vision. And we must see clearly. And this even got to the point where in verse 39, it got so bad where after he was healed, Jesus had to be very confrontive. And he said, for judgment, I came into this world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may become blind. Perhaps we'll be able to get to that at another point. But for now, the key to this is understanding verse 4, where Jesus then says, we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. He's speaking about the need for clear vision. And just how do we get this clear vision? We get this clear vision by understanding three things. Number one, the task assigned. Would you write that down if you're taking notes? We must understand, first of all, that we have to see the task assigned. Will you note our Lord's words when he says, we must work the works of him who sent me? This is the task assigned. And God gave an assignment to Christ. He had a specific work to do. And he always referred to his relationship to the Father as he who sent me, the one who sent me. John 4.44 says, my food, my existence, the very sustenance of my life is to do the will of him who sent me. He had an inner, inner energy about him, Christ did, did he not? He had an inner energy that moved him from place to place and ministry opportunity to opportunity and sermon to sermon, if you will. And in John 17, 4, it says, I glorified you on earth. This is Jesus praying to his Father. And how did I glorify you? How did Christ glorify God? Having completed the work that he had been given to do. You see, glory is brought to the Father when Christ does his assignment, when Christ completes his work. And in the same way, glory is brought to the Father through you, through me, when we complete our work for the Lord. Will you note an interesting term here that Jesus uses? He says, we must work the works of him who sent me. We must. Uh, that, this is to say that there is a moral obligation involved in this. There is a compelling necessity to the work. Jesus does not say, well, we, we should, or, or we should think about doing the work of the Father, or, or it'd be nice if we would, or I'd like to do the work of the Father. He doesn't say that at all. He says we must. And by using this term, Jesus demonstrates that he is driven and he is compelled and duty-bound to carry out his assignment. Note that he uses the word work here. We must work the works of God. This, work mean, this word work means to toil. It means to labor. It means to expend oneself to the point of sweat and exhaustion. You're applying yourself if you're using this word work, and we know what that means. We know what it means to work and to expend energy on a task. And this is what it involves. And, and then he says, we must work the works. This is very important to note because the works of God are plural, are they not? They're not singular. We don't just have one task to do as we serve the Lord, nor did Jesus. The works of God are plural. They are multifaceted. And for Christ here, what that would mean is that Christ would have to preach many sermons. And he would, he would work many miracles. And he would utter many prayers. And he would engage in many acts of kindness. And he would 
he would submit to many aspects of sacrifice of himself, including the ultimate sacrifice on the cross where he would then say, it is finished. The work is finished. The work is done on the cross. But moving to the cross, he had many small assignments. And it's, it's wise for us to pay attention to that as well, that we don't just have one life's job to do as the people of God. We have many to do, and they take many different forms all the way up to the end of our lives when we, with our Savior, can say, it is finished. We have completed the work for our lives as well. But I glossed over a very important word here in the very first part of the text. You may have noticed it, verse 4. Would you, would you look at the first word where our Lord says, we, we must work the works of the Lord. Jesus didn't say, I must work. I'm aware of the textual variants associated with this text, and uh, clearly there is reason to adopt the, the we, the, the plural reading here. He says this to his disciples, assuming that the Father has also given them works to do, the works of God, that they're not just to stand by and idly watch Jesus while he works, but he says we together collectively must do the works of God. And by extension, if Jesus assigns his disciples here this work, he assigns all of his disciples, all of his followers, all of his true disciples to carry out his work as an extension of him as well in, a, in an attempt to glorify the Father. John 14, 12 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he shall also do. And greater works than these he shall do, because I go to the Father. There's a sense in which Jesus, leaving the earth, he leaves his people. But he doesn't leave them to dilly-dally. He doesn't leave them to kick back and engage in a life of ease. He leaves them to work. And so, in summary of this very first point here, the task assigned, we must understand it. We must know it, that we have work to do, each and every one of us. And if you're wondering if I can tell you what that work is, I can't because it is as unique to each and every one of you as there are people in this room. And it's multifaceted. I could point out one person in this room and, and, and he or she would have work to do, but it's also multifaceted where nobody would know all of the jobs that need to be done for the Lord. But there's a reason that you're here on earth and there's a reason that you're still here on earth there's a reason that you're still alive, and the question I have for you this morning is, what's your work? What, what's your task that God has given you? I'm, I'm digging out what your calling is here a little bit. You don't have time to, to feel like you don't have anything to do. You don't have time to, to say, well, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. Well, you got to know. It's important for you to know. It's important for you to pursue the work that God has given you. None of us are here to be on vacation and to waste our lives and to be spectators. We are to be participants in life. And this is how we most glorify God. This is the task assigned. But will you note that Jesus goes on with another important point here. Not only does he give us the task assigned, but he gives us the time allotted. Would you write that down? The time allotted. Verse 4, he says... We must work the works of him who sent me. Now watch this. As long as it is day. Do you see that? As long as it is day. So there's a task assigned, but there's a time allotted. 
There is only so much time that you have to complete the works of the Lord for your life. This is God-appointed work, but it's also a God-appointed time. What does this mean, folks? It means there's a sense of urgency to this. There's a sense that reality is upon us. There's a sense that time is ticking to a large degree. And would you note in the text there, it says we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. This is an interesting word. It's a single word in Greek, and it simply means a limit of time. Uh, Literally, the word means as far as. We must work these works as far as it is day, and then the deadline is upon us, or up to as much it it is day, or until through the day. Day here is used metaphorically in the text, and for Christ, it refers to his lifespan. It refers to the time in which he is alive on earth, and by extension, it applies to us as well that we all have a set number of days, we have a set number of hours, we have a set number of minutes. This has been established by God from before our birth. You can't add to the amount of days that you have to do this work. You cannot subtract from them. You have been designed to serve God for a specified amount of time. And night is coming. We'll talk about that in a moment. But we are in the day, and today is the day that we must work. We are children of light, and children of light work in the day. So simply put, Jesus is just telling us we've got to know our work, and we've got to do it now. We can't procrastinate. We can't put this off. There's a real sense in which Jesus lived his life knowing that he was on the clock, did he not? When you watch his ministry, when you read his, his, uh, his gospels, you see that he was moving, and he had an agenda. And this, is, this was seen early in his life, even in the book of John. If you were to go to John chapter 2 and his first miracle, the miracle at Cana, his mom comes running and says, Jesus, they're out of the wine and this and, you know, and Jesus says, what do I have to do with this? My time has not come. And, and right away in the beginning of his ministry, he's, he's sensing his time clock and what has to be done and when. We also see in John 6 that... Uh, that uh, my, my time is not yet at hand, Jesus says. In John 30, no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And John 8, 20, his hour had not yet come. And then all of a sudden in John 12, 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now we've reached something. Now we're on the clock here. And then in John 17, 1, he says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that your Son may glorify He is moving, and he has deliberation, and he is aware of this clock. Jesus understood that he was on a divine timetable, and he couldn't be slack, and he was on task, and he wasn't killing time, and he wasn't wasting time, and he wasn't just relaxing, dragging his feet, shuffling through life, unmotivated, like so many people are this day. And they're just unmotivated, and they're just killing time. I used to work for a boss who would come into my office. It took me a while to get used to this, but he would come to my office. First time he did this, he'd sit down in my chair and he would just kind of look at me. And it was weird. I was like, am I in trouble or what, you know, can I help you? What can I do? And I would ask him and he'd say, he'd say, uh, oh, I'm just killing time. 
just killing time. And, you know, my assignment at that time, and always kind of has been very, uh, a very busy one, and, and I didn't have enough courage to say this, but I wanted to say, well, well, how about you go kill somebody else's time, because I got a lot of things to do today. I didn't say that. That would have been mean. But there are people that their, their goal in life is just to kind of coast and, and take it easy, and, and that's not our Lord, and that ought not be the followers of our Lord. When you study the book of Mark, an interesting thing jumps out at you. Mark is a writer of action, and he, he pinpoints the life of our Lord in all of the movements that it has. And as you read the book of Mark, you start to see a key word jump out at you. Does any of you know this key word in the book of Mark? Immediately. Immediately. Then immediately, Jesus. Then immediately, immediately. And you just get this idea that, that Jesus is moving quickly. Forty times in the book of Mark do we see this term immediately. And the point is, Jesus knows that if he procrastinates, if he drags his feet, he will dishonor the Father and he will fail to accomplish his work. And so as we apply this second point, the time allotted, we have to understand that God has appointed the task, but he's also appointed a limited amount of time to accomplish it in. And with the short duration of our lives, we must understand that we need to be motivated in this regard and understand that you only have so much time. And I only have so much time. And we have a big assignment in front of us still. There's still a lot of work to be done for the kingdom and for God. And if we waste our time, if we fritter it away in trivia, it doesn't change the assignment, folks. The assignment has been given. It's already The only thing wasting time does is make it harder to complete the assignment because now you have less time than you originally had to complete the assignment, and you still need to complete the assignment. It's God's will for you. So it's very important that we understand this, and we need to be wise. This is why Psalm 90 and verse 12 says, Teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. Teach us, the psalmist says. This means we need to be taught how to do this. This means that we have a, pro, a proclivity or a tendency towards being foolish. And the Bible says we need to be taught how to be wise as we number our days. We're naturally foolish. We naturally squander time. How much time have we wasted in our lives? I, I would hate to see if that were tracked somewhere. Yet, according to the judgment seat of Christ passage, it seems to read that we will be answerable for everything, time used as well as time wasted. But we have to seek God and ask him to help us be wise. Psalm 139, 16 says, All of our days were written in your book, as yet there was not one of them. It's determined how long we will, day, we will live, but the thing is, no one knows the total number of our days. No one knows how, how long we will actually live, and it's a sense in which our lives are an hourglass and that hourglass has been turned and that the sands of time are sinking through and it is important to understand that that there's only so much sand that is left and we have to do what the Lord has called us to do. Job 14:5 says since his days are determined the number of his months is with you and his limits you have set so that he cannot pass. 
Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. And we have seen this to be true, have we not? We don't know what this day is going to hold. We, we don't know what is right around the corner in our lives tomorrow, this afternoon, in the next hour. We, we don't know. And so this is why we number our days. This is why we don't boast. I've seen this verse come true so many times. Do not boast about tomorrow. You do not know what a day may bring forth. In my line of work, it is normal practice. It is normal. It's a normal day to deal with people leaving this earth. And as difficult that as, as that may be, one thing that I have seen holds ever true that there are people that wake up in the morning and they think that this day is going to be like every other day. This is going to be just like all the other days and I'm going to have lots of other days after that. That is the assumption that people live with. And, 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 then, they, and then they pass and they didn't expect that to happen. And it's a complete radical shift of what they and what their loved ones and what everyone around thought was going to happen that day. Well, we had plans to do this today, or we had plans to go to the lake, or we had plans to work all day. No, no, no. Your day, is, your day is done before it even starts. And, and this is sobering reality, and I don't, I don't want to be depressing. I want, us to, I want us to learn and be wise as a result of this. And uh, Ephesians 5 says, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time, because the days are evil. So, as we apply this, I'll just ask you a question. How are you spending your time? Time being one of the most valuable assets that we have as people on earth. And how much time do you think you reasonably have left? See, sometimes a minister has to ask questions that people don't want to be asked because it motivates us to become the people of God that we ought to be and to see life with different lenses on and to see life more clearly and to see it with clear vision, especially in the year to come. There's a sense in which it's good that we don't know the answer to that question, is it not? Did you ever play the game as a, as a child where, well, if you could know the day that you die, would you want to know that? And I think, I think there's probably good reason why God doesn't allow us to have that knowledge. I think we'd be stressed, would we not, knowing and that that day is looming and such. And, and so there's a sense in which it's grace and we should rest in the fact that we don't know and, and we should just live life to the fullest each day. We understand that. But there's also on the other side, every one of us ought to feel that sense of ourselves also being on the clock, right? Like our Lord, knowing that evening is coming. And so here we see the task assigned. We see the time allotted. I want to give you a third one today. The third one is the term expiring. Look at verse 4. We must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Here it is. Night is coming when no man can work. Night is coming when no man can work, Jesus says. It's possible Jesus was speaking these words at dusk. It was perhaps twilight when he said this, and so he had a visual illustration perhaps. 
But even if it wasn't, it is certainly true that the twilight of his, his own life and career was readily upon him. The sun, as it were, was setting for our Lord. And Jesus understood that, and he worked within that reality. He didn't allow that reality to depress him. He did not allow that reality to say, well, the time is expiring, so who cares? Who should do anything? No, it actually produced the opposite in him, and it motivated him. Jesus understood that, and he worked it. Note that it says in verse 4, we must work, work the works have sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming. What does this mean? Night refers to his death. It refers to him leaving the world, being done with his earthly activities. Perhaps Psalm 104.23 was in his mind, which says, man goes forth to his work and to his labor until evening. Until evening. Night is coming, the text says, meaning there's a present tense reality we're dealing with here. It is moving upon us the time in which no man can work. Of course, you know in the agrarian times when this was taught, people worked in the day. Uh, they couldn't work at night. Uh, they, they would have to have lamps to work at night, and lamps were very expensive, and oil and so people would rise early in the day, and then they would work all through the day, and then at night it was time to stop. No man can work at night. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatever your hand finds you to do, do it with all your might. For there is no activity or planning or wisdom in the grave where you are going. These are just, these are just hard truths, but they're real truths. No one can work at night. No one can work from the grave. There's a new government statistic out. One out of every one person dies. It's, it's true. It's true. There's that second law of thermodynamics, which makes the problem worse, that everything is slowing down. Everything is winding down. You are winding down. I am winding down. We're slowing. We're losing energy. Our stamina is weakening. Our age is advancing. And the opportunity to do the works of God is shrinking. It's a reality check for us this morning. And if we put off till tomorrow what should be accomplished today, we will only have less energy to accomplish twice as much. And so we do the works of God. And we do them in his way. And we do them in his day, today. Today is the day of grace. Today is the day of profitability. Today is the day that we move and function and have our being under the watchful eye of our master who, who energizes us by his spirit and, and who motivates us by his word and, and who convicts us to, to, to rise up and be what we ought to be for him. We understand that this is grace. It's a privilege to work for God, is it not? I mean, here this man born blind didn't even know what was about to hit him, and he, and he becomes healed, and all this controversy, which we could look at later, but, but this, uh, this is just grace upon grace upon grace to be able to work for the Lord, to have God be your boss, the, the, the ruler of the universe, receiving glory through what you do with your life. And this... Work, as I said, is particular for each and every one of us. We may not perform miracles, 
We may not get that recognition that many get in this world. We may not get fame. We may not get fortune. But we get the blessing of God knowing that we are doing God's work for God's sake and doing it now and not letting a moment in time pass. Do you serve God with a sense of urgency at all? It's just a question. Do, do, you, do you have a sense that you are on this planet for a reason and that your life does matter? And that you're not just sitting here as a bump on a log, but you have a function and you have a role? Do, do you know what your gifts are in the church? Do you know how to encourage do you? Do you know perhaps it's a teaching gift? Do you use that gift? All of these things are the works of God and they are manifold. They are, they are multitude. Whatever it is we do with fervency and urgency and immediacy and with clarity. This is clear vision, folks. This is what we need. This is the, the adjustment to our sight, spiritual sight. Richard Baxter lived this out. He was a pastor in the 17th century. And Richard Baxter, when he would preach, he would, he would preach with this uh, kind of mantra in mind. He would say to himself, I preach as sure to never preach again. And as a dying man to dying men. It's a hard truth to say, but... You know, what a good way he practiced it for his life. He was a minister in England, and he said, each sermon I preach, I just, I preach, and I plead, and I engage the people of God as if this is my last sermon. And I'm doing so as a dying man to dying men and women. It ought not depress us. We know what's on the other side of the grave for us. We know the, the splendor and the majesty of true vision of true sight in heaven. But we, and we await for that, and we long for that, and that doesn't go away. And bless God for that reward that is waiting for us. But today is the day in which we work, in which we labor for the Lord. And so I just ask you as we, as we leave this topic today, how are you doing? How are you doing in this area? How are you willing to take a fair assessment of your life and, and how you are using it for God's glory? Are, are you seeing clearly here? Do you see the works of the Lord being manifest in your life? And I don't mean that you all have to, to start into ministry or, or become a pastor or become a missionary. The works are manifold. They are, they are who you are as, as a believer in Christ, doing what you are called to do as a man or woman or, or as a teenager. I just want to answer one last question today. How do you do this? How do you actually do this? Well, it's simpler than you may think. And it's found in verse 5, our last verse for the morning. How, how do we do the works of God? How, how do we have this clear vision? Verse 5, while I am in the world, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. You see, the idea here is that you cannot do these works of God in the darkness. You cannot do them without the light of Christ. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and he who walks with me will never walk in darkness. And so we have our path illuminated by the light of the world as simply as that, so we can see clearly, so that we can discern spiritual light. And I just want to say as we close, for unbelievers, this begins by you becoming a believer in Jesus Christ. It's as simple as that. You, you can't even begin to talk about how to do the works of the Lord until you first become a believer in Jesus Christ. 
You're blind if you have not seen the light of the gospel shown into your heart, as Paul says. And if you're not a believer in Christ, you will spend not only your life here in darkness, but you will spend an eternity in darkness, away from the light of God. Eternally regretting that you squandered your entire life living just for you because you didn't have God in your life and you didn't have Christ in your life. Oh, you probably did a few good things. There were probably some noble things that that you did in life, but it wasn't for God. It was for you. And if you're an unbeliever, this is how you live. But you're not doing the works of God. And so it starts by repenting from that sinful way of thinking, repenting from your sinful, dark blindness and seeing clearly the light, of wor- uh, the light of the world. And for believers, I'll just close with this. What an awesome, awesome stewardship we have, do we not? What, what an awesome responsibility to spend our treasure and our talents and most importantly, our time serving the Lord, serving God, doing the works of God, having them manifested and glorifying the God of heaven with our lives. This is for believers, devoting ourselves to the works of him who sent us through Christ. And I just pray this morning that we all have a healthy sense of urgency as a result of these words of Christ, that we have a sense of gravitas, as it were, in the words of the old Princeton divines. They used to say, say, feel the gravitas of this, the weight of this. And I hope we all have a healthy Not an imbalanced, but a healthy fear of God when it comes to the use of our times where we are not our own, right? We have been bought with a price, and therefore we should glorify God in our bodies and in our time. I pray this is true of you. I pray that we are all believers here today and that we would begin, if not already, investing not in what is good, not even in what is better. We don't have time for that but that we invest in what is excellent, in what is best, the works of God. How do we have clear vision for 2020? By understanding the task assigned, right? By understanding the time allotted and by understanding the term is expiring. It hasn't expired yet, but it is expiring. That is the key to having clear vision for this year before us. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no man can work. Let's pray. Father, we pause to thank you for the sobriety of your word. Lord, we thank you for how it challenges us at our core. Lord, we thank you for the example of the Lord Jesus who moved with purpose and who who moved with a passion and with this understanding that he was on the clock. May we imitate our Lord. May we follow his example. May we be found busy about your work, whatever it may be, Lord, up until the point in which you return and be pleased with our life and be pleased with our service. We just want to please you, Lord. We know that we have been saved by grace through faith. We know that we cannot earn our salvation. This is a return of thanks to you. and Thanks for our salvation and redeeming us and giving us the light of the gospel. Thank you for opening our minds and clarifying our sight. And so now we just serve, Lord. Would you help us to do this? 
And I pray for each one here today that they would have clarity as to their calling and their role before you. Lord, and if anyone is here today that is unclear about what he or she should do for you, Lord, bring that to their heart. Make it clear, even as a result of this message, Lord, that they could grasp it and hold on to it and engage in it and, and, and love their work as they love you and bring glory to you. Ultimately, that, that you may be glorified, that your son may be glorified, and Father, that all things would be in submission to you and guided by you. And we pray this for Christ's sake. Amen.